Welcome to The Light Angle. Today is March 20th, 2023, and my name is Jack. Holy smokes, do I have a whole bunch of stuff for y'all. So we got some good news. We got some history lessons. We got a whole bunch of Jesus wrapped up into this. So uh, some pretty interesting stuff going on in the world. Uh, as I told you last week, make sure you're diversifying your portfolio and all that stuff uh, because the banking whole fiasco is not getting better. So just pay attention to that. Not going to go into that in any stories today, but it's something you should be aware of. So, you know, just, just be mindful of what is going on. Um, something completely unrelated. So before I get into this first story, keep in mind, folks, I really don't like going into politics and stuff, but there are some important things that I think we should talk about. And one of them is our history. You know, we can't even begin to correct our wrongs and make a better future for ourselves and our kids and grandkids if we don't understand our future and where we came from and how we came to be where we are today. Now, there are some things that are completely unexplainable regarding what is going on in the world today, but some of them aren't and some of them are explainable. This first article is very interesting. So the title is, On This Day in History, March 20th, 1854, the Republican Party founded to oppose expansion of slavery. So I never knew <clears throat> that the Republican Party started in 1954. I thought it was much older. But apparently, I was wrong. And as we're going to get into this, I didn't even know where the Republican Party started. Let me get into it. The Republican Party forged from a coalition of political forces to oppose the advance of slavery in the American West was created in Ripon, Wisconsin, March 20th, 1854. That's crazy. In Ripon, Wisconsin? What? I mean, most people can't even pronounce Ripon right. But anyway, the Republican Party grew out of resistance to the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, which overrode the Missouri Compromise and allowed slavery to spread into Western territory by popular sovereignty, writes PBS American Experience. Anti-Nebraska men included anti-slavery Whigs, Democrats, Free Soilers, Reformers, and Abolitionists. Alvin Earl Beauvais, an attorney and co-founder of Ripon College, was incensed by the passage of the Kansas-Nebraska Act in the Senate in March and led a meeting at the town's congregational church. This group, considering possible passage of the Kansas-Nebraska bill, then being debated in Congress, resolved that steps should be taken to form a new Republican Party to appeal to all those who oppose slavery in the territories, writes the Wisconsin Historical Society. Cries of repeal, repeal resounded throughout the nation following the Ripon, Wisconsin meeting of March 20th in demonstration against the Kansas-Nebraska swindle. The Jefferson Banner of Jefferson County, Wisconsin, wrote years later of the transformative moment in American political history. Beauvais was reportedly the first to call the assembly the Republican Party. His moniker found a powerful ally in influential newspaper publisher Horace Greeley. We should not care much whether thus those united against slavery were designated Whig, Free Democrat, or something else. Greeley wrote in his New York Tribune in June 1854. Though we think some simple name like Republican would be more fitly designated, those who had united to restore the Union to its true mission of champion and promulgate <laughs> champion of liberty with rather than pro <laughs> geez, propagandist of slavery. 
It's already, it's only the first article, folks. Sorry, can't get my words out. Can't pronounce pronunciations. Anyway, continuing on, the Kansas-Nebraska Act was signed into law by President Franklin Pierce on May 30th amid increasing hostility in the halls of power in Washington, D.C. Local meetings were held throughout the North in 1854 and 55. The first national convention of the new party was held in Pittsburgh in 1856, February writes the Wisconsin Republican Party in its out, out, online history. The party held its first nominating convention in Philadelphia in July of 1856. It selected California explorer John Fremont as the first Republican to run for president. He lost to Pennsylvania Democrat James Buchanan, but made an impressive showing for the upstart party founded only two years earlier. Fremont won 11 of 31 states and earned 33% of the popular vote, finishing ahead, ahead of former President Millard Fillmore of New York. Hmm. So there you go. There's some history. I never knew that stuff. But uh, that's kind of, a, well, it's not exciting, but it's, it's good to know. You know, we should know stuff like that. So there you go. You're welcome, all. This next one's even more important. Caffeine, the wonder drug. Studies suggest more coffee could lower body fat and prevent type 2 diabetes. All right, so maybe this isn't as important as how our country grew to be what it is. But, uh, you know, anything that lowers body fat and prevents diabetes is a good thing, and coffee's wonderful. So that morning cup of coffee might provide more benefits than just a quick energy boost. New research suggests that consuming higher levels of caffeine could help curb body fat and reduce the risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Researchers at the University of Bristol, the Karolinska Institute in Sweden, and Imperial College in London conducted the study, which was published in the journal BMJ Medicine. Analyzing genetic data from 9,876 European individuals who participated in six different long-term studies, the researchers specifically monitored the CYP1A2 and AHR genes, which influence the state of which the body will metabolize caffeine. Those who had genes that metabolize caffeine at a faster rate were associated with having a lower body mass index and lower whole body fat mass index. They were also found to have a reduced risk of type 2 diabetes. Study co-author Dr. Wolf, Doctor of Philosophy at the School of Psychological Science at the University of Bristol, confirmed that the results support an observational association between caffeine consumption and type 2 diabetes. I was personally surprised by how much of this was mediated by weight loss, he told Fox News. Dr. Bradley Sower, chief medical officer of Cardio Solution in Bethesda, Maryland, was not involved in the study, but did not find the results surprising. Okay. Several studies have shown an association between caffeine and reduced risk of diabetes and obesity, but the study takes the next step to show casualty, he told Fox News. Using a mixture of genetic markers and plasma, blah, 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 the study helps us understand the effects of caffeine on a deeper level. The doctor went on, well, this data isn't definitive and was conducted primarily in only one ethnic group. It is very interesting and thought-provoking. Well, doctor, I agree. And I will have another cup of coffee. Thank you very much. You know, it kind of makes sense, right? Coffee, when you drink it, gives you that little, you know, extra oomph you need, especially in the mornings. So why wouldn't we associate that with, you know, maybe moving a little faster, working a little harder, maybe instead of having that, you know, candy bar, you have a cup of coffee, you know, it all kind of works out, but I don't know. It just makes sense to me. 
and any reason I can have a little bit more coffee and be okay with that, I'm okay with that. This next one, I'm also okay with. Dad jokes. Dad jokes help kids develop into healthy adults. I knew it all along. My question is, what do bad husband jokes help your wife develop into? Because hmm? my wife gets a daily boatload full, and all I really see is annoyance. But I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. Anyway, a recent study says that despite the embarrassment that dad jokes can cause, it might do some kids good in the future. Humor research researcher Mark Hi Knudsen published a study in British Psychological Society's journal this week, arguing that dad jokes actually have a positive effect on development. When considered properly, dad jokes are an intricately multi-layered and fascinating phenomenon that reveals a lot, not just about how humor and joke telling work, but also about father's psychology and their relationships with their children. Dad jokes are typically inoffensive, corny puns. They're wholesome and age appropriate, making it suitable for fathers to tell their children. It also, it's also what makes dad jokes so susceptible to accusations of being stupid, lame, and unfunny, the study observed. I beg to differ. Hi, Knudsen suggests that when fathers embarrass their children with unfunny jokes, it teaches them how to overcome awkwardness by continually telling them, telling their children jokes that are so bad that they're embarrassing. Fathers may push their children's limits for how much embarrassment they can handle. They show their children that embarrassment isn't fatal. The study ends by encouraging fathers to continue aiding their children's development by telling embarrassing jokes. I agree. Tell those embarrassing jokes. You know, maybe that's, you know, one of the things that is wrong with the world. And, you know, this is going to be a shocker that maybe like the past 10, 15 years, parents haven't been spending enough time with their kids. Maybe, you know, there hasn't been that interaction, you know, maybe there just needs to be more bad dad jokes. I don't know. I'm okay with that. If we have to live a life where more bad dad jokes are told every day, that's not a bad life to live. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. And finally, our final news article, as we do every week, Fox News gives us a little bit of scripture from a pastor to talk about and chew on as we go throughout the rest of this week. This is uh, the fourth Sunday of Lent was yesterday. Change within ourselves comes from light of Christ, New York City pastor says. I agree. The faithful around the world are celebrating the fourth Sunday of Lent this weekend on March 19th. The special Lenten season is a time to reflect on how change is only possible with the light of Christ. Dr. Michelle Keller, senior pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Lincoln Square in New York City, told Fox News, Many of us spend copious amounts of money trying to change our appearances, our prospects, and our character. It is a very American to desire, desire change. It is less obvious how to achieve it. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the apostle writes, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. This passage is often used to encourage waking up and changing. We think change is a process of the will to try harder and strive. Keller continued, Imagine a trainer trying to get you out of bed saying, Wake up, sleeper! rise from the dead, he said. But this is not what Paul is saying here. In the biblical era, era, there was no alarm clocks or electric lights, and a person woke each morning with the rising sun. In the same way, 
Paul is saying the way to change, the way to wake up is not primarily through anything you do, but through Christ shining on you. Like waking up to the sunshine, change comes naturally when we allow ourselves to bask in the beauty of Jesus's life and work. To illustrate this point, Keller shared the story of Florence Chadwick, a legendary open water swimmer. So after Chadwick successfully swam the English Channel multiple times, she attempted to swim the distance between Catalina Island and the coast of California in July of 1952. The weather was foggy, the water was cold, she couldn't see the land, she couldn't see her progress. Defeated, she gave up completely exhausted. When Chadwick actually made it to the boat, she learned she was not far from her destination, yet because she couldn't see the shoreline, she didn't know. Two months later, she tried again in the exact same treacherous conditions, thick fog, cold water, but after 14 hours of swimming, she made it to the shore. When asked how she did it despite the fog, she said that she kept the mental image of the shoreline in her head. Although the circumstances of her swims had not changed, what allowed her to continue on to complete her work was that she had a vision of the beauty of the shoreline in her head. As a person begins to recognize the beauty of Jesus' life and work, that vision of beauty and rest moves our imagination. Just as Chadwick was able to push through to make it to shore, If Chadwick didn't require a change in circumstances to achieve her goal, she just needed to see the beauty of the shoreline in her mind. Imagine how changed we could be if the beauty of Christ shined on us. By reflecting on all that he has done for us and on the rest we find in him and on the love and service he has shown on us, we can awaken from our slumber and be filled with the energy to change. In this letter to the Ephesians, Paul is saying that when Jesus shines like that, then we can wake up from our sleep. Ironically, it is in resting in his love that we find the power to change. Just as Chadwick kept her mental image on the shoreline in her mind, we too can keep a vision of Jesus's beauty and love. So there you go. Kind of uh, flowery and foo-foo for my taste, but it's all accurate and true. You know, and sometimes we need that uh, flowery and, you know, pretty stuff in scripture to uh, give us a different perspective. Me personally, I agree uh, 100% uh, with what the author here is saying. Um, Saying that, I do think it takes a little bit more than just allowing, you know, Jesus's light to shine on you. And it's it's one of those challenging things, right? Because we, you know, sit here and we pray throughout the day, every single day, and, you know, we don't see change. And a lot of times, that change is happening, Just that since we're in our own skin every single day, all day, we're expecting to see something miraculous all the time. Well, the reality is, is, you know, we get in the way of that. (laughs) We mess up. We make mistakes. We get those thin, sinful thoughts and, you know, uh, actions to move forward when we're not putting Jesus first. And I think that's the thing. So, I would only add to this that if we really want the light of Christ to shine on us and we want it to shine through our lives, we have to be the ones who put Jesus first. That's not going to happen if we put social media or everything. I mean, you name your vice, put that first in your life and then ask yourself if that's why, you know, Jesus isn't able to help you change because we always have free will. That's something God blessed us with when we were born. And that's also can be considered one of the biggest curses because it's one of those things that keep us from having that 100% pure relationship with our creator. So 
chew on that as you go throughout the week, folks. Think about that. Think about in each moment as you go throughout the day is what I'm doing, is what I'm thinking, is what's going on. Is it allowing Christ to work through me? Am I getting that full beam of light from Jesus or am I, you know, casting a shadow on myself? Something to think about. While you're thinking about it, why don't you all pray with me? Father God, thank you for this new week to serve you and the people around us. As everything continues to be varying flavors of chaos, help us be aware, but not worry with the world we live in. Motivate us to do your will and help those around us. Give us patience for our brothers and sisters who are a bit abrasive and help us show the same grace you've given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all, that's it for today's episode of The Light Angle. But remember, we each have a purpose that's much greater than making a few extra dollars, feeding a temptation, or getting the last word in on a social media post. It all starts with two simple things, loving our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Hope always starts with a little light in the darkness.